Y'all may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to read about the time that comes after the transfiguration. Um, have I preached on the transfiguration here yet? Has someone ever preached to you about the transfiguration? You know what I'm talking about at least? I get confused. It's been nine years now, so I kind of forget what I've told who. Um, but remember, Jesus goes up onto the mountain. He's transfigured before a few of the disciples. Um, and I think, and even in this scripture, um, let's see. Yeah, Peter says the stupid, oh, this is great. I'm going to make you houses here. We can just camp out here. Remember that? Anyway, beside the point. Um, this is where Jesus is coming down from. So Jesus is up on the mountain with his, a few of the disciples, just a few. And down at the bottom, this is what's going on. And this is what we're dealing with today in Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus. This is when he comes down and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I remember my first epic failure. This is a failure for the disciples, right? Epic failure. We'll get back to it. I remember my first epic failure. Before then, I had hit speed bumps and obstacles, which I had overcome with hard work and perseverance, but eventually you smack into a mountain that doesn't move no matter how hard you try. And for me, that happened in middle school. Y'all, there is a reason we do not long for the good old middle school days. <laughs> middle school is tough. You confront a lot of mountains, right? I found a lot of things that I couldn't do anything about. I could do nothing about the Lukey hallway. You had to walk through it to get from inside the school to outside for gym. Couldn't do anything about that. I couldn't do anything about communal showers in gym. That had to be endured. I couldn't do anything about puberty. But I figured I could do a lot about my academics, right? What happened in the classroom. And I did, I did pretty well. I'm pretty much a perfectionist. And I did fine until I hit geometry. Geometry. I'm with these other kids in like the advanced math class, you know? We're in a portable building. We're all the hot stuff. Geometry. It's all these cubes and spatial thinking. And it was just crazy. My mind was not made to work geometry. But I tried really hard. And a lot of y'all have come after the first service. People come up to me and they're like, I can do geometry. Like, good for you. I can't. So this is, where, this is where you find out I can't do geometry. Because I got back my first test. My first test was worth a quarter of my grade. This is, this is what happens if you're in advanced class. They try to treat you like you're in college. And so quarter of my grade. And in the top, I think my teacher was a sicko. It was in red. 
and it was circled real big. It was a 51. Yeah. Whoa. And y'all, it's not like I could say that I hadn't studied, because I had studied hard. It's not like I could say, oh, I forgot that test. I didn't remember it was coming. I had no good excuse. The reality was I looked at that 51, and that was my absolute best. My best was an F. It was crushing. At some point in life, we all confront our limits, right? Maybe, apparently not for many of you, was it geometry, okay? Whatever. For me, it was geometry. But it might, be, it might be a course in school. It might be marriage. It might be the economy. It might be our bosses. It might be our parents. It might be an, any number of things. But whatever that is, it's that time that you run into the mountain, and no matter how hard you work, that mountain is not moving. The mountain wins. That's your failure. And we do one of two things. When we hit a mountain, we do one of two things. We collapse and cry like a baby, or we say, okay, here's a mountain that I cannot move. And so I either collapse and cry like a baby or I move my life. I adjust to the mountain. Okay, so Pastor Laura can't do geometry. Don't be an engineer, right? Pastor's a good substitute for that. So I moved my life into an area where I do not need to draw on my wicked bad geometry skills. We adjust. Let me tell you about school in the first century, in the time of Jesus. The time of Jesus, if kids went to school, when they went to school, they went to school in their synagogue. So it would be like coming to church, right? They would come here. I would teach them. Um, they learned the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That, that was their text. That was what they were working on. It's called the Torah, the five books of the law, the most important part of the Bible in the Jewish mind, of the, the law. And they would commit big pieces of the Torah to memory. This is what all these little kids were doing. And the amazing thing is, by the time that they were 10, many, if not most of them, just on an average, the average kids, knew those five books by heart. Could say them by heart. Can you imagine? I would have flunked that class, right? They knew it by heart. Now, the best of those kids, the A-level students, went on to the next level of study. The rest of the students, they got a pat on the shoulder. Good job. You completed your education. Um, you're not really the best out of this class, so go be an apprentice somewhere. Learn a trade. Be a farmer. Be a herdsman. Be a carpenter. Be a fisherman. Learn a trade with your family. Be an apprentice. Next level of schooling. The A-level students and that group of kids then go on to the third level. The rest of them, they go to apply their trades. The third level of students, they, the best of those, apply to a rabbi to be their disciples. And all the rest, the 99%, go back into the world and just perform normal work. Now, the way that they apply to the rabbi, that even wasn't a given thing. The rabbi might say, yeah, good work, but you're really not summa cum laude. You're really, you know, magna, and I only take summa. Or you're cum laude, but, you know, I want the summa cum laude ones. So the rabbis only took the absolute best, and, they, and when they applied, they had to apply, and the ones that didn't make it, they went back and they learned a trade. Now, think about this. Most powerful rabbi in history comes. His name is Jesus. 
When people hear him, he is unlike any other rabbi they've ever heard. They say, what is this teaching? It has authority. Whoa. We're not just, Jesus didn't just talk like he knew it he ta- and was interpreting it. He talked like he was the authority. Can you imagine that when God comes to live among us, God sounds like an authority? That's, so that's Jesus. And where does Jesus go when, he, as a rabbi, he needs disciples? Does he go get the A plus summa cum laude kids? Now, the amazing thing is he goes and gets, he goes to the fishermen. He goes to the flocks and the herds, the farms. He goes to the government officials. He goes get some people we don't even know what job they did. But these are all the people who didn't make the cut. And he goes and gets the people who didn't make the cut, the most powerful rabbi ever, and says, come be my disciple. Now, to be the disciple of a rabbi was awesome. It meant you were the best. So is it any wonder, do you get it now why when the most powerful rabbi ever walks by your fishing boat and says, come be my disciple, oh, promotion, you know? It's awesome. It's like the best job ever. I mean, it comes with a lot of problems, but it's awesome. Here's another thing that we often don't know. When you became a disciple of a rabbi, you weren't just committing yourself as Americans. We think I'm going to commit intellectually, you know, like I believe. All rabbis kind of saw things a little bit different. And so you would pick the one that you thought had it right. You know, the one who thought about things the way you were thinking about things, interpreted things the way you were, you would go apply to be their student, their disciple, and to learn what they knew, to say, I interpret it the same way. But there was more. It wasn't just that you were mentally agreeing with what they said. It was that you wanted to be like them. The way they lived it out. You wanted to do what that rabbi did. You wanted to live like they lived. So that puts it into context. When Jesus calls these disciples, he's not just saying, hey, here's my list of things that I believe. He's saying, here's who I am. And so they're watching him and trying not just to know what he knows, but to be like him. So doesn't that help us understand why when Jesus walks on the water, Peter's like, I'm going to do that. He's going to be like his rabbi. That was the calling. He's going to be like him. And when Jesus sends the disciples out and says, hey, spread the good news, you know, don't take much with you and heal the sick and give hope to people. What is he calling them to do? What is he sending them to do? to be like him, right? To do what he does. He's sending them out. They did it. These flunkies, these losers, they were healing people. They were proclaiming the good news. It was amazing. It wasn't like they didn't hit obstacles. They did. They flunked multitude feeding. Y'all remember when we talked about that? They didn't get it right, you know? They had to do remedial work. When kids wanted to come to Jesus, they're like, no, 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 no. Jesus is only for grown-ups. Go home, right? Jesus is like, no, guess what? You're wrong. I'm for kids too. So there was some remedial work they had to do, but they never, I mean, they had obstacles, they had setbacks, but to me, this is one of their epic, epic failures. Because what has happened? Jesus is up, being revealed to be the Son of God. This is their rabbi. And below is a child who is sick. And they pray, and the child is not healed. This is worse than a 51. This is a zero. Nothing happened. 
And what's even worse is the father doesn't go home. It's actually good that the father didn't give up. Because if the disciples couldn't do it, why could the rabbi do it? But he goes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, your disciples couldn't do it. But I am so, please, I'm so desperate. Heal my child. He's so sick. How does Jesus sound when I read this passage to you? How does, he, how does his response sound? I heard it. Frustrated. What are some other words? Is that here angry, disappointed? He sounds that way. You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up, you, up with you? Bring the boy here to me. He's just, he's frustrated. You know, I can't believe you're not getting it yet, kind of thing. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left. And the child was well. And here's where it changes for the disciples, because they have a choice there. They can either say, well, I'm going to adjust my life because I can't do that. Or they're going to say, we failed, but maybe we don't have to. And that's what they say. Maybe we don't have to anymore. And so they have the courage to go up to Jesus and say, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we do that, Jesus? And what does he say? He says, faith. That what they're missing is not Bible knowledge or the right prayer or the right words, or the right action. That all that they're missing is faith. Just a little bit of faith. And you know what else he's saying? saying he believes in them. Saying, if you had that faith, you could move mountains. Nothing would be impossible if you just had that little bit of faith. He's saying that he believes in them. Let me tell you the worst part of my F, my 51, the saddest, most miserable part, is that I saved it. 20 years, still got it. It's up in a box in the attic. And the saddest thing is I put it in with good things, like little notes from my mom and, you know, little things that I got, awards and, you know, stuff. In there is the 51, just so I will never forget that I am no good at geometry. That's sad. I mean, that's a sad study about me. But it's also true that all of us do that. You may think, well, not me. Well, you're wrong. Because we always, we all, even if we haven't saved a test, we have saved something. Sometimes it's tangible. Sometimes we can pick it up and look at it. It's a picture. It's a ring. It's a memory. It's something that we failed at. And sometimes it's just in the space of our hearts, like a warning light. Don't go there. You're terrible at that. You can't do it. There's a mountain. It won't move. All of us have prayers that we have stopped praying. All of us have dreams that we have given up on. All of us. All of us have people we've given up on. All of us have things in ourselves that we have longed to change, and we finally thought, oh, I just can't. I'm always going to be like this. I'm always going to suffer with this. I'm always going to be tempted like this. And what Jesus is saying is, no. Don't give up. You see, he wasn't telling the disciples here that they could be A students, was he? It wasn't, hey, if you go back and really apply yourself in that first level, you're going to go to the second level. You're going to be summa. He wasn't saying that. What he was saying is, you can be like me. 
could be like Jesus if we had a little bit of faith. Do you know how much he says? He was using a seed that these everyday people would have had in their gardens. Everybody had a little garden. We go to H-E-B, they had a garden, food. And the smallest of the seeds in that day is the mustard seed. Can you see it? It's that small. And in fact, I had somebody in the first service say, I don't know if this is an American mustard seed or not, because I don't know much about mustard seeds. I just got one, many for y'all. Um, but they said, in the ancient Near East, the mustard seed was a third of this size. They saw one when they were in the Holy Land. They're like, it's even smaller. And I love Jesus for this, y'all. Because what he says is, you know, the difference is faith. So your question would be, oh my gosh, how much faith? Because if it's a cantaloupe, we're out. But he says a mustard seed. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move and it would move. And I love Jesus for this because even on my worst days, I think I could do this. I think we all think we might could do this. The goal is attainable. The mountains can move. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen time and time again. I look at your faces and I know mountains have moved in your lives. Just looking at some of you, mountains have moved. My friend David, he was at my first church. This is one of the first mountains I got to see move. He's a math professor, so obviously he had no problems with geometry. He was still in my church. Young man, um, probably in his early 30s when this happened to him. Um, he went in for a routine physical. Routine, no problems. And for whatever reason, the doctor caught something funny and they, they did an x-ray of his abdominal cavity and he learned that his abdominal cavity was filled with cancer, just covering him. And that was on Thursday. He came to, he called me. Um, he said they've scheduled the surgery for Monday. That's bad, just so y'all know. And so he came to church, and I hugged him, and we prayed together. And he went to Sunday school, David Huckabee, in his early 30s with that cancer. And he told his Sunday school class. And there was that la this lady, um, maybe someday I'll get to bring her out here so y'all can meet her. Her name's Carol Santry. Um, she went on mission trips with our church, and she was, she's a spitfire. Um, but if anyone had reason to believe in mountains instead of faith, it would be Carol. Because Carol lost her sight when she was 20. Just bad genes. And so... Her sight degenerated. She, she was totally blind. And no prayers had healed her. And she, she heard about David, and she said, David, I, let's pray for you. And nobody says no to Carol. So they put him in the center of the classroom. This was Carol saying this. And she had everybody lay their hands on David and pray. And David told me, you know, most all of us prayed the same way. We say, God, give me strength. God, give me hope. And as I face this, um, give me comfort and courage tomorrow. Carol said, Lord, we pray you would heal David, take the cancer away. Amen. 
David goes into surgery. I was there when the doctor came out, and the doctor began with this. We are so sorry. We had to cut him open. They were going to do a biopsy, see the type of cancer. We had to cut him open from here all the way down below his belly button. We're so sorry because we didn't find any cancer. The family was like, what is wrong with you? That's good news, you know. They said we took his appendix out for good measure, you know. But the doctors, the doctor went to our church. The nurses who were in the room went to the church. David told the story. And the, he is still cancer free. They cannot explain. They hold up the x-ray. Here's the cancer. The next x-ray, it's gone. A mountain that moves. And David said, Laura, I want you to tell that story everywhere you go so that people know that mountains move. And I want you to know that it won't always be just like that. That some of the mountains that I've seen that moved are inside the heart. Are people finding the courage as they are dying to reconcile with people? I told you all about Dottie Dickerson, who was the most beautiful woman I've ever met, who was dying of cancer and did die of cancer and changed the lives of everybody around her just by who she was. That was a mountain that moved. She could have collapsed at the foot of that mountain of cancer. Instead, she said, get out of my way. I'm going this way with God. Sometimes the mountain that moves is that we have the chance to become a person we've given up on being. Sometimes the mountain that moves is that we don't need a drink anymore or we don't need to watch the pornography anymore. Sometimes the mountain that moves is that we have the courage to say we're sorry and mean it. Sometimes the mountain that moves is we just have the faith to say, you know what, I'm going to keep praying. I'm not giving up. How much does Jesus say? This much. If we could take our F's, and the things that we have given up on and instead turn them into this much faith, then the story will change. And instead of moving our lives around the mountains, we'll get to move forward and the mountains will have to move around our lives. Why? Not because of us. I'm never going to be great at geometry. But I can be great at being a follower of God. I can be amazing at that. You can be amazing at that. And so when you take this little seed, I'm going to give you one. And the sad thing is I know you're going to lose it because I tried carrying one around and I lost it. And isn't that wonderful that the, the amount of faith is so small that we might lose it? The metaphor is at least. But as long as you have that much in your heart, the mountains will move. Would you say that with me? The mountains will move. The story will change. Amen. If you'd like to join with this church today, um, I'd invite you to stand up as we sing this closing song. Stand, really? Yes. Um, stand up. Come up and find me. I'd love for y'all, if you haven't joined the church, to become a part of this family of faith, um, to become a part of people who believe with a mustard seed whose faith is growing strong. Because you know what? The mustard seed grows into this plant with these leaves that are really long. You can find them in the store if you want to see how long a mustard seed leaf is. It's huge. It grows big. 
you need that seed to start with. So if today is your day, come on up while we're singing this song.